Welcome to End of the Line. I'm Jim Anderton, Multimedia Content Director at Engineering.com. On today's episode, Humans in Space, Mars or the Moon? Today's episode is brought to you by Engineering.com, a globally trusted source for engineering content. Check out this and many other exclusive videos for the engineering professional found only on Engineering.com TV today. If you were around in 1961, and I wasn't, you probably remember then-President John F. Kennedy making a stunning announcement. NASA was instructed to land a man on the moon and bring him safely back to Earth before the end of the decade. Of course, hindsight is 2020, and the spectacular success of the Apollo program papers over the audacity of Kennedy's original plan. When he made that speech, the total NASA human spaceflight experience was 15 minutes in a flea jump of a suborbital flight by Alan Shepard in a tiny Mercury capsule he called Freedom 7. The Soviets were far ahead, having already orbited cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin using boosters that were far more powerful than the converted Redstone and Atlas military missiles used in America. The technology to send human beings to the moon simply didn't exist at that time. And by didn't exist, I mean everything. Boosters, human-rated spacecraft, engines, guidance and navigation systems, life support, and communication systems to support a moon landing simply did not exist. Now, in many cases, the materials and manufacturing technologies to build those systems didn't exist either. At that time, there were physicians that stated that human beings couldn't survive the length of time of a moon voyage in weightlessness, and that radiation would kill anyone walking on the surface anyway. There were psychiatrists that claimed that the stress of the mission would be intolerable, and some engineers doubted that any spacecraft could have sufficient backup systems to make the risk worth it. Some scientists were worried that astronauts would bring back viruses or bacteria from the surface of the moon, infecting the Earth. In the end, NASA sent nine crews to the moon and 12 men walked on the surface. But that was it. After that stunning success, the agency set its sights on making orbital spaceflight routine with the Space Shuttle program. Now, logically, the Shuttle program probably should have preceded exploration of the Moon and likely would have made the process safer and cheaper. And while a brilliant engineering success, the Shuttle program never delivered the order of magnitude reduction in cost per pound to orbit that the system promised in the early 1970s. But it worked. And because of it, the International Space Station was built, and it so far has proved that humans can endure zero-g conditions for periods of half a year or so with no permanent ill effects. Now that's good, because the next step in crewed spaceflight is going to involve long-duration missions, which with current propulsion technology can have only two practical destinations, the Moon and Mars. Mars has been the dream of astronomers and rocket builders for over a century, and the engineering challenges of sending a crew there make Apollo look like the Stone Age. It will also be ruinously expensive, and it's far from clear that even Elon Musk can achieve this, even with his very large Starship rocket program. The Moon, however, is very achievable, and at this point, it's likely more desirable anyway. It's reachable at a quarter million miles distant, and recent probes suggest that there's water on the surface, which could be used for oxygen and hydrogen rocket fuel, and there are resources that can be exploited to build bases there as well. But perhaps the most interesting resource waiting to be extracted from the Moon is helium-3. This isotope has a very interesting property. Used in a fusion reactor, it should produce power aneutronically, meaning without the long-lived radioactive waste that we associate with nuclear power. Nuclear power without nuclear waste. Now, that alone should make a moon base a practical proposition, except for the small detail that is necessary to process thousands of tons of lunar surface regolith to make useful quantities of helium-3. But just as fundamentally, no one is asking a more basic question. 
Given the fragility of the human body and the dramatic improvements in AI and robotics, why send people at all? Now, robots were sent to the moon before Armstrong and Aldrin landed there, and soon there will be a sample return mission from Mars. Samples from asteroids have already been returned by robotic probes. Now, it's a given that machines are far cheaper than crude spacecraft, which means more science for every dollar. But the machines lack the drama of humans in space. The new James Webb Space Telescope is an engineering achievement on the order of Apollo. Like Hubble before it, it will likely reveal more secrets of the universe than all the ground-based telescopes in human history, and might even be used to detect planets that may harbor alien life. But is that enough? With current technology, we could build self-driving race cars and run them in Indianapolis. But would anybody watch? Well, that's it for this week's episode of End of the Line. To check out these podcasts as videos, visit engineering.com TV. If you like this show, consider joining engineering.com to get personalized story recommendations, follow topics you care about, and participate with the global engineering community. Thanks for tuning in.